Today on Government Matters, federal agencies call employees back to the office. Are they reopening too fast? Maryland Senator Chris Van Hollen tells you what he's asking the White House. The Pentagon's cyber standards start to spread across government. DOD cyber guru Katie Arrington explains what contractors and agencies need to know next. And a financial management breakthrough for agencies. The Treasury Department will help do your work for you. Treasury's Dave Liebrich explains Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. A number of federal agencies have plans in place for the return to the office, and some already have employees back at their desks. Senators from Virginia and Maryland are calling it, quote, grossly irresponsible to bring federal employees back too soon. Maryland Democratic Senator Chris Van Hollen was the author, uh, co-author of a letter about that very issue. Senator, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What are the biggest concerns that you're hearing from your constituents about going back to the office? Well, Francis, it's good to be with you. We should be leading by example. Instead, what we're seeing uh, from the Office of Personnel Management and the Office of Management Budget which are the sort of leading agencies within the government to set policy, uh, is the wrong signal, essentially saying to all the individual agencies, uh, start bringing your people back, uh, but without any clear guidance. Uh, and what we know is that uh, this virus has not gone away. So we are asking the federal government to continue to maximize uh, telework. Uh, people are still doing their work, uh, and there's no reason to send them back into their offices uh, prematurely unless absolutely necessary. The acting uh, director of the Office of Personnel Management, Mike Regas, was on the program a couple of weeks ago, Senator, and talked about the reason behind that, saying that the workforce, the mission, and so on, it's different at every agency, and that's the reason the administration's taking the approach that it's taking. What's the fault, do you think, what's the flaw in that strategy, Senator? Well, clearly they all have different missions, uh, but in every case, uh, we should prioritize uh, the safety of employees uh, consistent with that uh, mission. And there's no reason uh, that we should not be continuing to maximize telework for those employees who are telework eligible. Uh, these are individuals who are doing the work, uh, but uh, we don't have to you know, put them at risk uh, by requiring them to come to the office. Uh, we also have 40% of the Metro riders um, every morning in this area are federal employees. So again, you're meeting the mission uh, through the current uh, telework uh, approach. Why risk that, especially at a time when uh, the governments uh, in the District of Columbia, Maryland and Virginia, are continuing to maximize uh, telework. Uh, they recognize that uh, that's important to protect uh, their employees while they continue to do the mission. Uh, there's, there's no indication that teleworking is undermining the mission. What do you think this says about the future of telework across the government center? Let's say we got uh, a vaccine tomorrow that everybody could get and a month from now, agencies could conceivably go back to the posture that they had in February. Does that make sense? Do you think, would you like to see agencies be much more aggressive about telework in a post-COVID environment? 
Well, I've always believed that the federal government uh, should allow more uh, teleworking. Uh, obviously, you want to do it in a way that is consistent with the mission, uh, as they're doing now. But I do think uh, for those jobs uh, that can complete all their work uh, and meet the mission through telework, uh, we should expand that as, as an opportunity. I'm not saying that we should move the entire federal government to, to telework uh, wherever possible, uh, but I am saying that that should be more of an option than it, than it was uh, prior to the pandemic. In fact, many of us have been pushing for years uh, to allow greater flexibility when it comes to telework. Speaking of moving the federal government, Senator, you are a part of legislation that would uh, really uh, crack down, essentially, on the relocation of agencies outside the D.C. area, prompted uh, by the USDA's relocation of offices to Kansas City and other efforts that the administration's undertaken. What do you want to see for this administration or some future administration uh, to, to give you confidence that when they want to move an agency, it's for good business reasons and not for other reasons? Well, this is legislation that I've introduced together with uh, Congresswoman Jennifer Wexton. Uh, she introduced it on the House side. And I think it's what you know most taxpayers would expect and hope for, which is that uh, before you relocate a federal agency, you do a cost-benefit analysis. Uh, you, you look at things like the you know, cost of rent or buildings and uh, those sort of factors, but you also uh, look at the impact on the agency's mission. Uh, and in the case of the Department of Agriculture programs you just mentioned, the move from the Washington area to Kansas City has totally undermined the important mission. Uh, there were lots of experienced scientists uh, working on food science and other issues important to farmers. Uh, and they really gutted the agency uh, with that move. And so before taxpayers are asked to fund a move like that, uh, we should conduct uh, an analysis. Uh, you would hope that you know businesses do that. You would hope that the federal government should do that. And the purpose, uh, Francis, is to make sure we don't have politically motivated moves. In other words, you know, people just saying, well, I would like to grab that agency and uh, put it in my area for political reasons. Um, if there are justifiable policy reasons uh, on the merits for doing it, uh, that's one thing. But it should not be done for political reasons. Senator Van Hollen, there's always more to talk about than there is time to talk about it. I appreciate you joining me today. Great to be with you. Thanks. Up next, new cybersecurity standards at the Defense Department could spread beyond the building. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what's next for the cybersecurity maturity model? You're watching ABC7. The Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Accreditation Body has a new course in the works to train independent assessors to evaluate compliance with CMMC standards. First phase of the CMMC requirements should be in place in the next six months. Katie Arrington is the Chief Information Security Officer for Acquisition at the Defense Department. Katie, welcome back. Thanks for coming back on the program. What's happening with the accreditation body and when can people expect to understand what it is that the auditors are going to come to their companies and look at and how they're going to do it? 
So uh, thank you for having me. I always appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Um, so the accreditation body uh, did what they said they were going to be doing, which is uh, opened registration for C3PAOs um, to start the training classes. Um, the assessment guides have been created by the Department of Defense that have been transmitted to the AB, and they are developing the courses to reflect those. So we're rocking and rolling, um, moving out our intent, as we've stated that as the rule change goes into effect, we will have auditors coming out of their first uh, course at the AB um, so that we can work through the whatever changes need to be made in the model after the, the rule change and it be adjusting, but we're rocking right in that time frame. So, you know, fall 2020. One of the things that the auditors will be looking at, no doubt, as it starts to take a look under the hood at these companies, is where the equipment's coming from. A lot of, uh, lot of vendors are saying we need some time to make sure that we've gotten to be precise to get any Huawei equipment out of our supply chain, out of our compliance chains. That deadline's approaching pretty quickly. What's happening with that deadline? Will there be any flexibility for these companies, Katie? I do not believe so. I mean, the uh, the de deadline is August 13th. Uh, new contract awards coming out. Um, the companies need to attest that they don't have the products within their network. Um, we in the Department of Defense fully in, uh, uh, support the intent of the legislation. Um, we we you know we talk about cybersecurity, and I, I'm a big proponent for it. Really needs to be now, and we need to pay attention. Um, our adversaries are actively campaigning against us, so um, we in the department are are moving forward with it. Um, there's multiple phone calls going on every day to make sure that we're doing our best to prepare um, ourselves internally on how to receive that information from the companies um, and document it. So we're uh, in compliance with the law. August 13. What happens if for companies that are already on contract that uh, find that they have issues in that area? Great question, and thank you for that. So the new rule does not go into current contracts. It only applies to new contracts. So if you have a contract right now that has that product in it um, and in your network, you should definitely should have been working to remove it a while ago, but you're not going to be held to attest to the government until you come for a new contract award or they um, move to extend the option year. What about cases where there is are, there's operations going on in countries where Huawei pretty much is everything there? Um, how how does the department intend to deal with those kinds of circumstances, Katie? So it's going to be on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, as we work through the potential of a waiver, that needs to be based on the contract, and that needs to go through a pretty rigorous process. Um, if a company was to request a waiver, they would need to lay down the um, where the product was in their environment, and they would need to document clearly the, the phase out of that product to apply for a waiver. And that is in the legislation right now, but waivers are something that we really need to think about, you know, and making sure that we stay on if a company is able to achieve a waiver, how do we ensure that we get that, that product out of the system? But we should use this as a, you know, uh, you know I always try to look at everything happens for a reason in time. 
And we really need to be aggressive about making sure that our our country, our businesses, our our freedom is protected. So we really need to get out on this. It sounds like you're going to want pretty specific visibility into where a piece of equipment is and what's going over that piece of equipment before you're going to consider a waiver. Absolutely. And especially when you're talking about um, our critical technologies and the things that, you know, we as a as the United States value in our national security. So we, we absolutely in the DOD are fully intent on, uh, you know, staying to the letter of the law um, and we will work with industry as much as possible. But this has been a long time in coming. When, we had to go it last year. One of the first times that you and I talked about CMMC on television, Katie, you said that you hoped that other organizations in government would adopt these standards, uh, organizations on the civilian side. GSA did that this week, uh, saying that in uh, STARS 3 RFP that they'll be looking at CMMC standards. What was your level of interaction with them or what is your level of interaction with them about educating them about what you're doing or what your expectations are or evangelizing on behalf of, of the standards or whatever? How are, how are you helping other organizations across government understand what you're doing? Well, GSA, of course, works in partnership with the Department of Defense. And I didn't influence that, but I definitely evangelized it without a doubt but it's the you know the the strong leaders um over at gsa that made that decision to say we re we have the right in future solicitations task orders to request the cmmc um i think the bigger th picture is as you know we were working through and aware of what was going on with the national cyber solarium commission um, we clearly saw what they were doing. Um, they, in section four of that, that document, referenced the CMMC and they referenced a national cyber certification program. And more importantly, in that document, in that report, which was amazing, was that they want to amend Sarbanes-Oxley to include cybersecurity, require reporting and qualifications in SEC filings. So I think it's the, we definitely have a change happening. Um, it's I'm a piece of it. There is a larger movement to secure this nation, to secure businesses um, from the adversarial threat. So definitely applaud GSA leaning in. I think that was remarkable. And it's great to see when uh, good people have a, a unified mission um, trying to do the right thing by the taxpayer and by the U.S. government. Katie Arrington, thanks very much. As always, great to have you on the program. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Up next, the Treasury Department's prepping to help you get your financial management work done. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the move to save your agency time and money. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. The Department of the Treasury is the home of one of the newest quality service management offices. The new office will focus on providing core financial management services to agencies, including accounts payable, general ledger, and accounts receivable. David Liebrich is Financial Assistant Secretary at the Department of the Treasury. Dave, welcome. It's good to see you again. What does this mean? What services specifically are you providing for agencies? Thank you for having me, Francis. Uh, specifically, the office is designed to really try to build a marketplace. And, uh, and really, in the end, the goals of this objective is to make government operate better. 
and specifically to allow the financial management community to do a better job of actually providing information and be more efficient. And so what we're looking at is um, looking at trying to build a marketplace of common technology, common services that will give agencies the options to more effectively uh, procure those services as well as implement them. One of the real challenges we have today is over 75% of the agencies are facing end of life of their financial systems. And so having a, a marketplace that is more responsive and actually helping them meet those needs in the future is, is, is enormously important. So that marketplace will provide solutions or it will provide avenues to solutions. What does that marketplace look like, Dave? It, it is one of the, we, we put together our strategic plan and there's sort of really four major component, components of what the office will do. And we're really looking at putting together a very small group of people. So we're not looking to, to build a large organization. In fact, one of the things that I found over the course of my career is that you know very a small number of very highly dedicated people can make it a disproportionate impact if they're really focused on a specific effort. In this particular case, the objective here is to try to develop standards uh, for these solutions uh, so, so that you know, there's the, the marketplace can understand what it's building to, working with the solution providers, whether those be the software providers, whether it be the integrators, or whether it be the existing shared service providers, to actually allow them to build a marketplace that's consistent with the needs of the customers in the, in the federal agencies. So you're going to be kind of the connective tissue among all of these stakeholders that you list on your website as being agencies, industry, legacy, federal shared services providers, and other stakeholders and partners, and you reference particularly OMB, GSA, and, and others. You're kind of the connective tissue among all those organizations with an understanding, kind of an in-house understanding of what general federal government financial management needs are. Am I hearing you right? Exactly. One of the we put together a sort of set of core principles about what this office, how it should operate, and what it should be doing. And one of the key fundamental first principles is being customer focused, and that is looking out at the customers and the agencies to understand what they're going, what they need, what their needs are. Um, and in addition, you mentioned I think importantly that our interaction with the other quality service management organ offices. And so, for example, one of the challenges that you face in the federal government is when you have a core financial system, you're bringing information into those systems from other systems within the agency. And so, for example, in the grants community, you're bringing grants information into your core financial system, and you need to have really good collaboration and coordination with those other communities to be effective in actually delivering the ultimate outcome, which is basically better stewardship of the financial resources and ultimately, I hope, better um, data that allows people to make better decisions. Uh, we had sort of looked at this question of, you know, what do, what do the taxpayers want? They, they want good financial accurate information from the government, federal government, and they want good stewardship. And this effort really is about trying to achieve those two objectives. The other most recently uh, named, officially named QSMO is the General Services Administration with, um, uh, with uh, time card and, and other employee uh, human resources oriented uh, operations. What's that interaction like among you and the other QSMOs to make sure that, as you're saying, that, that everybody's kind of on the same standard for everything? Really, um, it's been a lot of commonality around kind of what we all see our common objective is. And, and really, when it comes down to in the end is how do you take information from disparate systems across government and bring it all together, in some cases, brokering the information. And the, 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 the uh, GSA QSMO and the, the one at HHS are all dealing with the same set of issues. And 
we've had some success at Treasury with, with the Data Act of really building a broker of how you actually extract information and gather information from the different agencies to compile it up to show what government spending is. And a very similar thing has to happen here. I would say that one of the major challenges historically with the implementation of core financial systems is your ability to actually integrate them with those other, with those other systems. And one of the major work streams in our effort is to really look at ways to make that easier and to sort of like try to crack that nut of, of, of um, making it much easier so you don't have to rebuild everything, but rather actually take the information from the existing systems and bring it into the core financial system. And what I think is especially useful, Dave, is it sounds like you're trying to do that on a strategic level and not just a tactical level. One of the objectives uh, that is on your website uh, about this QSMO is that you'll guide and govern the long-term sustainability of core financial management services and solutions. You're in this with the agencies that you're partnering with for the long haul, right? This is not just we're going to help you buy a piece of software and wish you well. Yeah, it is. And we have a couple of things, you know, we're looking in the short term of really taking a look at lessons learned from what other large scale implementations have been done in this area. And there's the, the landscape is, is really quite varied on this. Some people have been successful and some have not. And you oftentimes can learn as much from those things that didn't work well that have. And so I think when this, this as I mentioned, this small group of experts are gonna be taking those experiences and understandings out there and trying to make sure that as agencies are moving forward, we don't make the same mistake twice. Um, and that in and of itself, I think would be a really great objective. In the more intermediate term, I think with respect to when an agency is looking to do more, we're making that process much easier to actually procure the software or procure the services. And then finally, that ultimate objective is how do we really make government function better by having better access to data? Dave, thanks very much for coming on. Good luck in this effort. Thank you for having me. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. You get a preview of every one of our shows by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.